0: Good morning. morning. I love being part of a church that doesn't see their students as the future of the church, but sees their students as the church. I love that we had our students up here leading us in music today. So I do want to clarify one important point before I start today. I am definitely not Pastor Brian. (laughs) That's probably the best of my jokes today. Brian is out of town with family this week, and somehow, I personally believe against his better judgment, he asked if I would preach. So my name is Chris, and I am the pastor over the student ministry here. Now I was asked what I expected. The biggest difference was going to be to stand in front of you and preach versus standing in front of our students. Now what I can tell you this, what won't be different is the depth in which we'll dig into scripture today. You see, we refuse to talk down or water down scripture for our students. I'm fully convinced that if our students can excel in classes like calculus and trigonometry and physics, listen, if our students can handle this, I'm fully convinced they can handle theology. Tackling this topic today isn't going to be different than any topics in student ministry because we're willing to tackle any topic with our students Although creation is a controversial topic, nothing is off the table. If our students aren't hearing a biblical worldview on controversial topics, then they will simply accept a secular worldview as truth. And this is simply unacceptable. Now, I do want to give Pastor Kyle some props for his leadership in the student ministry over so many years. This is one of his greatest passions. Deep teaching And helping students to develop a biblical worldview. Now, I believe teenagers sometimes get a bad reputation in terms of their faith. But a recent Barna study has some encouraging results. The the Barna study that included over 25,000 teenagers from 26 different countries said that nearly half of the polled teenagers believe that Jesus is loving and that Jesus offers hope, with 43% viewing Jesus as involved, not detached from creation. This study further found that teenagers that study the Bible and believe that Scripture is inerrant, that over 40% of those students say that it motivates them to have an impact on the world. It motivates them to promote fairness and justice. And from what I see here at Edgewood, I agree with these encouraging results. We have students who are digging deep into scripture and living it boldly. Last month, we had several students participate in a See You at the Pole event. This is a student-organized, student-led event where students meet at the flagpole of their school before the start of school and pray. I can only imagine the courage it takes to stand at the entrance of your school praying while the rest of the students walk by you a couple of years back one of our students showed up at the CU at the poll event and she was the only one there when i asked her what she did she said i'm going to stand up for my faith even if it means standing alone what courage right what boldness In addition to this, we have students that have formed a student leadership team and are looking for ways to serve, students that are taking opportunities to actually teach in their growth group time, students that are praying to see if God is leading them to go to Moody Bible Institute, and so much more. Our students are living out 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you because of your youth, but... Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. Listen, these students, our students, are setting an example for this church. A few weeks back, I sent this photo to Brian. We had 58 students in our student center for our Wednesday night youth group. Two weeks ago, we had 75 people in our student center if it weren't for the renovation of the facility and including a student center we simply would not have a space large enough for all of our students to be able to gather together on a wednesday night so because of your continued generosity toward our expansion and renovation project you are literally partnering with us in reaching the next generation in addition to this the proceeds from the cafe If you've purchased anything from the cafe, you have helped to send dozens of students to receive worldview training and to take the gospel to the nations. As students went to both Camp Summit as well as to Belize. So thank you for helping to equip this generation to live out the Great Commission. Now, as we dig into today's text We have to begin at the beginning. The Bible starts with the four most important words that we must wrestle with in order to have a proper view on the world. In the beginning, God. Listen, we have to decide, is this what you believe or not? Is this truth or not? Is God real or not? Is scripture truth or not? Was God all that was at the beginning or not? We honestly cannot move forward past this moment without deciding was God all that was at the beginning? Now, these are questions that we encourage our students to wrestle with. Our goal is that if students are brought up here through the ministry at Edgewood, that by the time they graduate high school, they've come to a place in their lives where they have owned their faith. That they believe and trust in the foundational parts of the Christian faith, not because it's what mom and dad believes and not because it's what grandma, grandpa or the pastor believes, but they've owned that this is what they personally believe and they know why they believe it. And they're able to lovingly share it with others. So today we need to wrestle with this. Was God all that was at the beginning? And if not, then who was it? What was it? What put all of this into motion? As Pastor Brian said two weeks ago, if Genesis is not true, then the whole Bible is suspect. If you can't trust what's written here, how can we trust the rest of Scripture? So as we dig into Genesis chapter 1, we're going to go through 6 through 13 today. Listen, I could take you to a science class and attempt to prove that this portion of creation is not only plausible, but in fact trustworthy... I could take you to an apologetics class and bring a strong case of why creationism is actually more rational to believe in than the big bang theory or macroevolution. I could take you to a hermeneutics class and discuss why the biblical interpretation is not figurative, but is a literal six days, I could take you in all these directions and in some ways I will, but if all we do is walk away today with facts about God and we don't Know God better if we don't have a deeper understanding of Him, a greater passion to follow Him, a greater yearning to reach the next generation with Him. And I didn't do my job today. Scripture tells us that the very first thing that God did in Genesis 1:1, the very first thing He did was He placed His stamp of ownership on the world. God's claiming ownership, He's claiming responsibility. In the beginning, God created. Often I find myself viewing the world through the lens of what I understand. I remember standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and although I knew the expanse was massive, it wasn't until I saw a car in the distance that I had a measurable understanding of how big that canyon really was. It's the same for me in terms of creation. So when I think about creation, oftentimes I just look at the world directly around me. You see, I forget that God made the moon to orbit the, the earth about 240,000 miles away. Then he made the sun to be over 100 times larger in diameter than the earth. He made the stars with the closest 25 trillion, a T, 25 trillion miles away, or 4.3 light years away from our planet. He made galaxies that contain over 100 billion stars, nebula, and star clusters. And that's not even considering the other hundreds of billions of galaxies of stars, the immensity of God's creation is simply unfathomable. So when we talk through creation today, we need to be reminded that all of this was spoken into existence by God. Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called that expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now, interestingly enough, I taught on Genesis chapter one a couple weeks ago with our high school students. I asked them specifically about verses 6 through 13. I asked them what they found interesting, what they wanted to know more about, what their generation needed to know in reference to these eight short verses. Their responses included that the order of creation was in a way that there was provision already created for what he created next, that there was a chronological order to it all. The comment was that God didn't create man and then separate the seas to form dry land. You see, if God would have done that, then Adam and Eve would have been swimming around for a day before there was dry land to walk on. Another student discussed that because of the specific details that are discussed in creation, that we have a better insight into other areas of Scripture. You see, this student was able to connect the water that flooded the world with Noah and the separation of the waters in verse seven. Another student discussed how this demonstrates the control that God has. That God was able to take the chaos of nothing and bring it into order. Another talked about God's intimate presence, that even from day one, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That God didn't just create and then step away but his presence stayed close. He remained involved. This, their responses show how deep our students are going in terms of their faith. It shows our students aren't superficial or simply coasting, but they desire to know God deeper. Now, we all know Pastor Brian loves his alliterations. So being the new youth pastor, and in an attempt to earn some bonus points with the senior pastor... I used some of the takeaways from our high school students to create an alliteration for our main points today. So through this, we're able to see God's provision and providence, that he is powerful and personal, and from this, our response needs to be that of praise. So if we give some background on this section of Scripture, it's so interesting that God went through such effort to give so many details you see, when God gave the story of creation to Moses, he could have just as easily said, Moses, I created it. Now let's move on. I mean, God didn't specifically need to go into such detail. He didn't have to be so, so specific. But instead, God chose to reveal more about who he is to us through creation. Now, originally, Genesis was written by Moses for Israel. In writing this, God's intent through Moses was to portray God as the founder and creator of all life. The purpose was to show that God who created and placed a covenant with Israel is the same God who created the world and all that was in it. Therefore, the Israelites and you and I as well can find comfort in the sovereign God of creation. Now Moses penned this creation account in God's word following the Israelites' captivity in Egypt. So the Israelites had full knowledge and exposure to competing religious views. The Canaanites alone worshipped fertility gods and warrior gods and gods who guaranteed healthy crops, and gods of the sun and the moon and the stars, but God is the one that created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and quite literally everything else these tiny pagan gods claim power over. So the Israelites were shown that it isn't the creation that should be worshipped, but the creator himself. I find it interesting that these Israelites... The ones that witnessed so many miracles are the ones that needed to be reminded that God was the one that stood over all of creation. I mean, the Israelites witnessed the plagues and the parting of the sea, water coming from rocks and manna from heaven, and the list just continues on. Yet they once again needed to be reminded, as sometimes we do, that God is the one that's in control. The God is the one that created it all, that God can both give and take away. Now, if we jump back to verse 6, we see that this mass of water that God created on the first day was separated on the second day. It says that God put an expanse between the water, that there was water both above and below this newly formed expanse. So what was this expanse? Now, some Bible translations use the word firmament in place of expanse. When we look at the Hebrew word uh, actually used here, it shows reference to an expanse or something which is fixed and steadfast. This expanse, the God created as described by Ken Ham, founder of Answers in Genesis, as an expanse, something which refers to what we're able to see, the sky, the atmosphere, the heavens, space. So God didn't create a hard dome over the earth, as some theories suggest, but is referring to what we see when we walk outside and we look up. We see here as an example of just how powerful God is. We're able to see that by a simple spoken word, God is able to command the basic elements of creation, water, and separate them. At this moment, God was placing into existence some of the very basic laws of nature, taking hydrogen and oxygen molecules and allowing them to change form from a liquid into a vapor, allowing to create this atmosphere. We're able to see that the law of gravity was already in place, that water on day one was resting over the earth that was out form. In verse 9, again, we see God has power over the basic elements as he caused the earth to rise up to form dry land. Once again, God accomplishes it all by speaking it, and everything happens. Brian showed us last week that in day one of creation that when God says it, that settles it. So this allows us to be sure that God's power is more than sufficient to both create and maintain creation. Oftentimes, we have insecurities about the world even sometimes about our own nation. One commentary says we need not worry that God is running out of gas or that the God of creation is in a precarious state of existence, that God's creation is robust, its existence is secure. God does not need help from anyone or anything to create and maintain this world. No battle with the forces of chaos threatens to undo his creation. This dry land, again, gives us insight that God is providential. We're able to see his divine foresight, that God had a plan for it all. No part of creation caught God off guard or confused him or caused him to have to go to plan B. Man was God's ultimate creation, as Genesis 1:27 shows us, that we're the only part of creation that was formed in God's image. But... God didn't create man and then was like, oops, forgot to make dry land for him to walk on. Or, whoops, I forgot to make food for him to eat. But instead, each day continues to build on the previous day with perfect providence and provision. Now, if this is true, if this is true, then the implications are great. It means that everything that exists must be under God's control that the creation must be subject to the creator. After God speaks creation into existence, he always follows with the affirmative that it is so. There's no question, did it occur? There's no question on if the elements were not only created by God, but set under his control since they perfectly obeyed. You see, God spoke it and he deemed it was so. There was no arguing. There was no debate. It simply happened. Now, here's a cool part God didn't simply just speak vegetation into existence, but He also spoke the design of vegetation into existence. You see, when God spoke it, it wasn't specifically just there's a tree. But instead, when God spoke it, the trees were created, but more so, the design of trees began to move, move forward. The design of trees began to take root. That was funny. That was the best one I got. That's the best one I got. All I know is last night they laughed. So, scripture says that the earth brought forth vegetation. So the design of how trees grow and reproduce began to take effect on the earth. So this further demonstrates to us that all forces, forces of nature, enemies, creatures, and objects, all are unable to act outside of the allowance of God. Now the story goes that Sir Isaac Newton had an exact replica of the solar system made in miniature. The planets were all geared together by cogs and belts, to make them move around the sun in perfect harmony. One day, as Newton was studying the model, a friend who did not believe in the biblical account of creation stopped by. Marveling at this device, he exclaimed, my Newton, what an exquisite thing. Who made it for you? Without even looking up, Newton replied, nobody. Nobody? His friend asked. That's right, I said all of these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving around in their set orbits with perfect timing. You see, that's your option if you don't believe in in in, an intelligent creator of this universe. Now, in addition to how God physically provided for everything, what I have found fascinating is God's provision and how he provided for Jesus' ministry. You see, Mark 13 is the parable of the sower. Jesus is telling this parable of this farmer who is scattering seeds in his field. And some of these seeds fell on the rocky soil. And some on the path. And some among the thorns and thistles. And some on the good soil. The rocks. The soil. The seeds. These were all parts that were spoken into existence in dates 2 and 3. So we literally see how God is using his own creation to teach us and to point us to salvation. The trees created on day three are the same creation that Jesus was crucified on. The plants created on day three are the plants that formed the crown of thorns that pierced Jesus' brow, as well as the linen cloth that his body was wrapped in when he was placed in the tomb. The fruit created on day three was used for the first miracle Jesus did of turning water into wine. And later, Jesus used as a reference for his blood being poured out. The grain created made into the bread Jesus broke with the disciples. And the more I start thinking about this, the more creation and Genesis becomes so real. And it was good. We see this phrase over and over again in the creation account. You see, God creates, creation obeys, God looks what, at what has been created, and he agrees that it is good. The Hebrew word here used here for good gives us the idea of well-being of a situation or thing. What we need to remember here, though, is that God is perfect. So a perfect God is looking at his perfect creation, and he is perfectly pleased with it. When we look at God in creation, we see God was making paradise. His creation was done so flawlessly with perfection, without fault. I mean, everything was exactly as it needed to be. Colossians 1.16 tells us that all things were created by him and for him. Since we are made in the image of God, we therefore have the ability to know God, to love God, to have a relationship with Him. You see, God didn't just create a place where we could barely survive. He didn't originally create a place we would struggle in. But God created a place where we could both excel and live in perfect harmony, both with all of creation, but more importantly, we could live in a perfect relationship with the Creator. But as said by Spurgeon, when God began to arrange the world in order, it was shrouded in darkness and it had been reduced to chaos. This is the very condition of every man's soul. When God begins to deal with him in his grace. Man's unrepentant heart is formless and empty of all good things. Spurgeon further challenges us as believers when he says, Observe. The remarkable fact that no sooner had God made dry land appear than it seemed as if he could not bear the sight of its nakedness. What a strange place. This world must have looked with its plains and hills and rooks and vales without a single blade of grass, tree, or shrub. So at once, before the day was over, God threw a mantle over the earth and clad its mountains and valleys with forests and plants and flowers as if to show us that the fruitless is uncomely in God's sight, that the man who bears no fruit unto God is unendurable to him, that there would be no beauty, whatever, in a Christian without good works and with no graces. In contrast, we're able to see in Philippians 1.16 that for those of us who are partakers of grace, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. If we jump back into the New Testament, we see in Luke 19, 37 through 40, that Jesus is making a triumphal entry back into Jerusalem. The disciples are rejoicing and praising God with loud voices for the mighty work that they had seen. They're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, the Pharisees didn't like this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered him and they said, listen, if I tell you, if these were silent, if my disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. Listen, even the very stones of creation, even a pebble cries out the glory of the Lord. Like, did you catch that? Do you get that? Jesus said that throughout all of creation, think of the vastness of creation. I think of sitting on a mountain summit and the vastness of the valleys or the vastness sitting on the beach of the ocean, the grains of sand. The vastness, and Jesus said throughout all of creation, the sun, moon, stars, galaxy, solar system, the universe, that even a tiny pebble, a stone cries out the glory of God. Psalm 148, 7 through 13 says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy winds fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestocks, creeping things and all flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, prince and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together with old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. If God's glory is seen in something as uncon- inconsequential as a stone, then how much more so Is God's glory seen through creation of man. You see, if God created man in his own image, then this means our purpose is to reflect the nature of God, the character of God. Now, to dig into creation of man is a whole different sermon for a whole different week. But ultimately, he who caused the light to shine out of the darkness in day one of creation made his light shine into the hearts of believers so that they can become new creations. One great question is, why didn't God just speak it all into existence in one moment? Why did he take six days? Was God not powerful enough? Stephen Cole writes, God is sovereign and all-powerful. He is eternal and self-sufficient, which means he is the only uncaused being who is in need of nothing or no one else. When he created the heavens and the earth, he did not, con- he did not hold con- consultation with anyone because there was no one else. He simply acted in order to bring his sovereign purpose. If he had chosen to do so, he could have spoken the whole thing into existence in a single sentence. I believe he used the six days of creation to teach us, to set a pattern for our existence. Instead of God showing off his power and speaking all of creation into existence in a moment, God instead chose to reveal himself to us. He chose to show us that through his creation, not only is he powerful, but he's also providential, that he's personal, that he provides, and he is worthy of praise. Now, I get that God created everything. So we're provided for, we have food and water, we have companionship, we have a purpose. But why did God make it all so beautiful? Even as a non-believer, one thing I simply could not explain away was some of the beauty that I saw. Sitting on a mountain summit, the Milky Way in the night sky, a radiant sunset, even at that time of my life where I questioned if there really was a God, I just could not explain away creation apart from a creator. So why did God create it so beautiful? Well, he, Because he loves us. He wants to use creation to draw us near to him. But the reason is that he simply can't do anything else. The creation must display the glory of the creator. So the creator deserves the praise and admiration of the creation. But if creation cries out the glory of God, how can it not be beautiful? Ultimately, it was so God's glory could be seen in everything. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the work of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Even the most seemingless, inconsequential of stones can't help but cry out of God's glory. Now I was sitting in my car, reading Genesis 1, preparing for this sermon, and I got to verse 16, where God made the two great lights, referring to the creation of the sun and the moon. And I paused for a moment and I looked up and I saw the morning sky on fire from the sun rising over the horizon. The sun I was watching rise into the sky was the very sun that God spoke into creation. And I couldn't help but just sit there in awe and worship. Worship. I said earlier that if all we do is we walk away with facts about God today and we don't know God better, if we don't have a growing passion for him, a greater yearning to reach the next generation with him, then I didn't do my job today. So if our actions are a direct overflow of our faith, what are some possible action steps? Pastor Brian has already challenged us to read through chapter one of Genesis every day during this sermon series. Let me add to that challenge just a little bit this week. Don't just read the chapter, but be intentional to study chapter one while basking in creation. Maybe maybe read it while you're watching a sunrise or sunset or maybe step outside at night gazing at the wonders of the stars that God placed into the heavens. Isaiah 40, 26, lift your eyes on high and see who created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by numbers, he calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Maybe an action step for you, as we talked about our students, is to intentionally disciple one of them. One of our students is specifically living on mission. Kaisa Jensen, daughter of Dell and Jill Jensen, won an award. Jill said that when she heard about the Take Your Bible to School Challenge, she was so excited to do it. And as a result, she won the Live Your Faith package, which was full of Bibles and devotions and apologetic resources. And then in a dramatic contrast, I was, <clears throat> I was grieved last week when I read a press release. A 911 call was made here in the Quad Cities finding a gunshot victim in a convenience store. Officers soon located the 14-year-old male subject armed with a handgun. Listen, I don't know the rest of the details. I don't know what led up to this, but what I do know is that we must find a way to reach more students with the life-changing power of the gospel. Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, Amaze Them With God. He says, some of us, it seems, are almost scared to tell people about God, perhaps because we don't truly know him, maybe because we're living in triviality, or maybe because we don't consider knowing God to be very helpful in real life. Kevin says, I have to fight against this unbelief in my own life. If only I would trust God that God is enough to win the hearts and minds of the next generation. It's his work much more than it is yours or mine. So make God front and center. Don't preach your doubts as mystery. Don't reduce God to your own level. If ever people were starving for a God the size of God... Surely it's now. So give them a God who is holy, who is independent and unlike us, a God who is good, just, full of wrath and full of mercy. Give them a God who is sovereign, powerful, tenor, and true. Give them a God with edges. Give them an undiluted God who makes them feel cherished and safe and small and uncomfortable. Give them a God who works all things after the counsel of his will for the glory of his name. Give them a God whose love is lavish and free. Give them a God worthy of wonder and fear, a God big enough for our faith, hope, and love. Listen, if we believe that this is all true and all we do today is walk away with facts about God and we don't know him better, if we don't have a growing passion for him, a greater yearning to reach students with him, what is the purpose of it all? Listen, our students are praying for revival. Our students this week just prayed for revival for not only their own hearts, but for yours. That God would use you powerfully that God would use this church as an example in our community and throughout the world so now I ask you the same question that I've asked them if we're able to see that God's provision and his providence that he is powerful and he is personal then what is it that God is calling you to do and in an act of praise to him, maybe it's finally time to say, God, whatever you want me to do, the answer is already yes. You just tell me what the question is. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. And we have come here today, God, and we have worshiped you corporately. God, we have Uh, worshiped you through song. We have opened scripture and worshiped you, studying your word. God, we just pray that our worship is found worthy. So God, don't let this just sit here in this room or in these walls, but God, challenge us. God, work on our hearts, mold and shape them. God, shine a light in the darkest crevices of our hearts was only you can do. Don't leave us in this place, but charge us forward. There's a world full of people that are broken. There are a world full of people that need hope. There's a world full of people that need the love that only you can provide. There's a world full of people that need the gospel. You have given us the charge to take that gospel to them. So, God, don't let us live a life where we're comfortable. God, instead, place us where you can use us. Don't let us seek out only a life of comfort and safety, but one that you're glorified. So, Father, we look forward to this week. We look forward to where you'll place us and the people you'll place around us to live on mission every day. So, Father, we love you and praise you. We lift this all up for you. Amen.